We're celebrating God's goodness in so many ways, the evidence of his grace. Thank you for your prayers. This is my first Sunday without crutches in a boot, and I thank God for that. It's important in our lives to celebrate the milestones and celebrate God's provision as well. That's what we're doing with baptism. You know, last service, Raina did not know Jesus, and someone close to her died. She was grieving, started searching for God, and came to know Jesus, came to grace, and now loves the Lord, knows the Lord, was baptized here. And then at the Awakening Music Festival that we had just over a week ago at the Showwear Center, you saw two people sitting right over here, baptized, and uh, we celebrate that. There were 12 people baptized that night. And what I want to declare is that God is moving in the church and God is moving in the showwear center and God is moving in your neighborhood. There's no limits to what God can do. And we're celebrating. We want to keep moving with the spirit together. And we also, um, have a family meeting coming up. God's moving family meeting, uh, next weekend. And if you've never been to a family meeting, we have two times a year, a gathering. It's after service and you can stick around. You get to hear about the finances, which are an aspect of the church. It's important. There's transparency there. There's vision there. So you'll get an update as we go into the next budget year in September. You'll also hear from the elders, the leadership. You'll hear some vision. And I think you'll be inspired about what God is doing at our church. So that's coming up in a week. Uh, You can take note on that one. Also, With Memorial Day this weekend, this extended weekend, I think it's important that we really slow down and just take in for a minute what's been done on our behalf, the service, the lives, the dedication, the cost, the sacrifice, the families who don't have their loved ones right there, and just take that in. Just take that in. We grieve with them, and we're also so grateful for them. We've been given so much. We're we're grateful for the freedoms that we have and the price that was paid. And I think there's also a stirring as we see our country right now in a crossroads in many many areas. Uh, I know a lot of us are still processing the tragedy in Texas, for example, and grieving together through that and really asking God, God, what are you calling me to do? Right now, because we are inspired by those who have laid down their lives for our country. Amen? And, and we're grateful. We want to lift their families up in prayer. Uh, we also, with that gratitude, know that God is calling us to do some things in this room to pray, to take action, to bring a better world for the younger generation. Amen? Our nation, in many ways, has drifted and wandered from God, and at the core, coming back to God and His love and His truth. And we need to pray for that. We need to take action. We need to pray for renewal and revival in churches across America. There's a lot of us stepping up in a lot of ways, but I'm looking at a room of culture changers. I'm, I'm looking at a room of people who are empowered by God, where you live, work, learn, or play, to bring the light and the love of Jesus. And it's time for us, as we think about Memorial Day and all that's been given to us, it's time for us to step up for such a time as this. Uh, let, let's pray together. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 today. If you brought a Bible and want to turn to you there on your phone, we're going to be talking about the upside of weaknesses, and let's pray. Father God, we walk together with you, with each other. Jesus, we follow you. And Lord, we are grieving and hurting, and we also think of the families who have lost loved ones serving our country. We're so thankful for their dedication, God. We are inspired 
God, we pray that you'd empower us today. We want to hear your voice today. God, we know you're calling us. You give us the spirit of power and love. God, we want to walk in your truth today. Speak to us individually, together. God, we pray that you'd change and bring healing in our land, in our families. And Lord, we'll give you the glory for this. In our weakness, it's your power. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's good to look back and think back over the years and really recognize on your journey with Jesus all that God has done in your life. And let that gratitude swell. And with that same gratitude then, it's important right now to invite him in to the most difficult and challenging situations in your life. And as you do that, you're going to gain confidence going forward as you walk by faith, trusting God and trusting his word. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And as he does this, three themes emerge. We're going to focus on these three themes today. The first one is the foolishness of boasting. The foolishness of boasting. It's going to sound like Paul is a little out of his mind as we're reading these first verses. And there's method to his madness. He's going to talk about strengths and then he's going to talk about weaknesses. Let's listen to what he shares starting in verse 16. I repeat... Let no one take me for a fool, but if you do, then receive me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools, since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you, or exploits you, or takes advantage of you, or pushes himself towards you, or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. What anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking about as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. And he continues in chapter 12, verse 1. I must go on boasting, Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. In Corinth... There are people called the super apostles. These are false teachers and they are boasters. Here's the truth about boasting. First, it's self-centered. It promotes this false security. It puts other people down. And ultimately, it's going against God. These false teachers were criticizing and slandering the apostle Paul. Has anyone ever done that to you? Falsely criticized you, spread lies about you, slandered and gossiped. Well, that was happening to Paul And now he's going to confront it. He's going to be direct. They are boasting. So he's going to go into a boasting mode, not because he's really enjoying it. He's having a hard time doing it, but he's going to imitate them to reveal their foolishness. And first on a personal level, bringing clarity and credibility because he's trying to reestablish his credibility. Has anyone ever tried to take you down and you had to reestablish some credibility? He says, well, here's my Jewish heritage. Here's my lineage. And he unpacks that. Then he continues and says, here's my closeness with Christ, caught up into the third heaven. 
What is the third heaven? The first heaven is this earth in what we see above us in the sky. The second heaven, the galaxies that continue beyond and beyond what we can see that reveal the greatness and grandeur of our God, our creator. And then the third heaven, God's throne, also called paradise. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, there was a thief at the end of his life who turned to Jesus, turned from his sin. Jesus told him, today you will be with me in paradise, God's throne. This incredible experience 14 years ago, and it's important to remember those times with God. Maybe it was a camp on a missions trip at church on a Sunday, a baptism. It's important to remember those times because they sustain you during the most challenging times when you're mistreated and there's opposition. You go back and you hold on to those times in your childhood. Young adult, you hold on to those times where you got a word from God through the scripture. You hold on to those And Paul is being tested to the core, and maybe some of you have been there, by some other people. And he's going to first bring clarity and credibility, and then point out that these false teachers, who are always walking around saying they're so enlightened, they're so spiritual, they heard something from God. Well, it didn't really come from God, but they're always saying they heard things from God. See, the Apostle Paul is always aligned with God's word and God's spirit. And these other spiritual folks, they're just roaming around, wind and waves, every form of false teaching. They're blown about, and they're always claiming to be extra spiritual, super apostles. Well, let me tell you, you've got a right mind when you line up with God's word and God's spirit. Don't be duped by all the false teachers that are out there. And Paul is sharing this first on a personal level because he's been attacked and he's trying to reestablish some credibility. But he's also looking far beyond just himself. There's confusion in the church. There's confusion in the church today. Amen? Online, podcasts. I mean, there's just all sorts of confusion and branching off from God and his word and God's spirit. And there's confusion in Corinth. And this is what happened. It was exciting because people came to know Jesus in Corinth. And now they're new Christians. And they haven't spent as much time in the word. They're not as grounded yet. We have a generation right now, as I talk to people who are under 25, so many of them did not grow up in homes where families prayed together and got in the word together and have that solid foundation. And it's exciting because they're coming to know Jesus, but they just don't have that home that's so strong spiritually. And so they're trying to figure out, what do I do in this new relationship with God? Those were the people in Corinth. What do I do in this new relationship with God? And they were duped and deceived and pulled away by the false teachers. And the false teachers are persuasive because they're impressive and they're intellectual. They're intelligent, they're misleading people, they're impressive, they've been trained, they have some degrees, but they're pointing people the wrong direction. And Paul sees this and he's gonna step in. I gotta say, don't just go with the flow these days. Don't just go with whatever's trendy, whatever the popular group is saying. Don't just go with the flow today, the false teaching. Be discerning. Come back to the word. Stand on the word today. And that was part of the growth process for the Corinthians is to know the word and to grow in the word, to be strong in their faith, to be rooted in God's truth, in God's love. And the irony is that the Corinthians are embracing the ones who are deceiving them. They're embracing the ones who are exploiting them. This word exploit means to devour. They are taking advantage of the new kind of naive followers of Jesus. 
And the Corinthians are responding by embracing them and then pushing away the Apostle Paul. Have you ever had a time in your life where you are embracing someone who actually undermines you and is not for you and pushing away the ones who love you the most? That was the irony. That's how it got flipped. They're pushing away the people closest to them who love them, who train them up in the faith, and they're embracing all these false teachers. They're making a shift, and it's breaking Paul's heart. So he wants to empower them. He wants to help them have discernment. He wants them to realize that they can make good decisions. You see, you have what you tolerate in your life. Whatever you tolerate, that's what you have right now. You have as much sin and false teaching as you tolerate right now. And you have as much of God in your home as you want right now. You have as much of God in your life as you want right now. And you choose all the time. How much of God do I want? How much sin and false teaching do I want? How much? And the Corinthians went, we'll take a little less of God and we'll take a little more of the false teaching. And again, it's breaking Paul's heart. If you love someone and you're watching them go down that road, it's hard to watch. They are in some ways stubborn, slow to grow. They're stumbling. And the point here is to help them move forward in their faith. Helping someone move forward in their faith often involves accountability. What Paul's doing here is in love and it's truth, and he's specifically calling out what's happening. He's being very specific. Listen, if you only surround yourself with people who are afraid of you, who won't confront you, hold you accountable, what's going to happen? You're going to be puffed up like you're all that. No one's ever going to show you your blind spots. You're going to be duped and deceived. You're going to be stuck. It's going to be a plateau. Why? Because you won't let anyone hold you accountable. Because you're just so self-confident that you've got this world figured out that you don't really need anyone there speaking truth. And the Corinthians will start to go down that road, but Paul with courage is going to share it and say, no, this does not lead to life. This does not lead to joy. This does not lead to peace. You're going the wrong direction. You started out strong. Now you're going the wrong direction. And he's speaking truth, trusting God with the results. Sometimes you might be that person that puts your neck out on the line and just in love and humility says it in a way that people understand to redirect them to God for restoration. Well, there's a lot on the line. These false preachers, they're bringing a counterfeit kingdom, a counterfeit kingdom. They're taking advantage of insecure people and they're bringing a false security. They're taking advantage of people and there's a lot of people today who genuinely, authentically struggle with self-esteem, struggle with a sense of worth, and are in a spot where there's guilt and shame and darkness, and God wants to pull you out of that with healing. Because the Bible says you are made in God's image, you are wonderfully made, you are loved, you are gifted, and you need to receive that and step out of all the self-despair and the self-hurt. And instead of that, there's a life for you in Jesus. The false teachers will then take it somewhere that the Bible doesn't. And they'll keep running with that theme into a false teaching of, well, you are actually self-sufficient. And they'll bring it into a theme of self-greatness, self-consumed. You're going to be happiest when you're all about yourself. And when you get wrapped up in yourself, you're going to see that you are God, ultimately. That's the message of the false teacher. 
So taking people that are insecure, giving them a false security, telling them you're the master of your own fate, you're the captain of your own soul. Ultimately, life is about self-glorification, so get more wrapped up in yourself. Well, that's a lie. And instead of being down, instead of being full of ourselves, God gives us a healthy path, a healthy path. And God's help is better than self-help. Self-care, it's legit in some sense. I mean, get some sleep, get some exercise, eat healthy food. Self-care, sure, there's some legitimacy to that. But God's care is so much better than self-care. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of people who are swinging from so down on myself to so full of myself, and they're just missing where the Lord is in this. God is God We are under God. God lifts up us when we humble ourselves under God and we find that right spot. And the the false teachers today continue to malign all of that. Well, Schaefer broke it down like this in terms of a spirit of boasting and the challenges around us. Francis Schaefer gave this challenge. He said the real problem today is not modernism, liberalism, communism, or rationalism. Here's the real issue. God's people trying to do the Lord's work in the power of the flesh rather than the spirit. In other words, it's not so much about just the circumstances and challenges around us, he said. It's primarily about what's happening inside of us. God's power, the Holy Spirit, replacing a spirit of boasting. You know what a spirit of boasting is in its essence? It's a spirit of self-sufficiency and self-reliance. That's a spirit of boasting. In the world, you know what it looks like? Loud and proud. Is it hard to find loud and proud in this world? It's really not hard to find loud and proud. There's a spirit of boasting, self-sufficiency, and self-glorification in this world that's not from God. Now, in the church, it doesn't look like loud and proud as much because a lot of people in the church know that, yeah, you don't want to do that. So instead, it's silent. It's a stubborn spirit of boasting because a spirit of boasting in his essence is God I'm going to do this my way. And my way is better than your way. In a spirit of boasting that's silent in the church, loud in the culture, it's the same spirit of boasting, of pride, of self-sufficiency, and self-glorification. It was there then, it's alive today. So we repent. We don't want to walk down the foolishness of boasting and all that's involved in that road. And it leads us to the second part, the reality of ministry. I mean, there's getting real and there's getting real, real. And Paul is getting real. Uh, He's going to take it deeper with this reality of ministry. Has anyone ever told you that ministry is easy? That serving Jesus is easy? Living for Jesus is easy? Has anyone ever told you that? Uh, Listen to what Paul says about the reality of ministry. And this is starting in verse 23. Paul's now going to share some of the challenges that he's been through. He says, are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, 
been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, and in danger from the false brothers. I have labored and toiled, have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and I've been naked. Beside everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Eretus had the city of Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through their hands. Notice the contrast here. We've got the super apostles, the false teachers and the boasters who do not want to sacrifice. They love the benefits of their prestigious positions. They love the benefits of religion. And they are addicted to what's comfortable and self-serving. You won't see them sacrificing. So Paul contrasts that. And again, with clarity, by God's grace, he says, I worked harder than the others. Worked harder. He says, frequently been in prison. Going through floggings, lashings. What is that 39 beatings? Well, there was a law in the Jewish culture that you could not exceed 40 lashes. The reason for the 39 is because they acknowledge there could be some human error and they didn't want to go above 40. So hold it at 39. And then if there's one off, we're still at 40. We didn't break the law. 39 lashes. These lashes were so severe that backs were ripped open, bones exposed, organs exposed. In fact, a lot of people didn't make it through one round of 39 lashes. There was a law that whoever delivered the lashes and the punishment was not held liable for death. There's just an acknowledgement that a lot of people are going to die with that kind of a beating. Paul went through that five times with the Jews, three times with the Romans. The Romans did it illegally because he was a Roman citizen. They didn't even ask him. They just beat him up. Well, going through all that, the injustices just continue to pile up. As you go through life, the injustice just continues to pile up. Paul's serving Jesus. He's mistreated. You say, well, what else did he go through? He was stoned. That's not smoking anything. That's a common form of execution right there. That's not a confession of sin. That's just how people killed other people. They picked up a rock and just they all pelted the person thinking that he was dead. Uh, shipwrecked. I was reading a Bible commentary that said he was on nine voyages. The voyages then were not like the voyages today. There's no Carnival cruise ship. There's no yacht. There's no sailboat. In fact, most of the vehicles that they traveled across the water, they were not seaworthy. Or in a storm, they could not absorb very much. And so what happened? Three times there were shipwrecks. And this is before the end of the book of Acts. That's a fourth time. If you want to get some more details, check out the end of the book of Acts. Shipwrecked again and again. Don't you think it went through his mind? Is it really worth getting on? 
on another boat for another shipwreck to go spread the gospel across the world. Is it really worth it? Because I might not make it this time. And again and again, he kept going and he said, I'll get on this boat, another shipwreck. He's up for the next boat. Why? Because it's worth it to lead people to Jesus. It's worth any cost right there. And you can't stop the man or woman on fire who knows they're called and empowered by God. You just can't stop them through a shipwreck. On the move, death threats every day all over the place. That's just the norm. That's not a shocker. That's just every day. All kinds of people in the community want to kill him. Bandits want to take him out. Always in danger. Lack of sleep, lack of food, lack of warmth. And not only that, he says, but I care and love the people so much and I care and love the churches so much that I have so much empathy and compassion and it just moves my heart as I think about them and what they're going through. And he entered into that. And then he said, temptation, and I inwardly burn sometimes for sin. You might be so tempted that you feel like you're burning inside. And he said, but no, I can't go there. I've got to honor the Lord. And this is some of the stuff that he was going through. You see, God was humbling him. In Acts chapter 9, this is his story. He was against Christians. He was trying to kill Christians. He was against Jesus, and the resurrected Jesus showed up. The light was so bright that he was humbled, bowing down. He went down to the ground, and the light was so bright, he couldn't see for three days. He didn't eat or drink for three days. God was showing him something, restoring him. He was so humbled. Some of us have so much pride that God will use something, something strong to break, to break a proud man or a proud woman. Some situation, some challenge to break us down from the pride so that we're ready to serve God. That's what happened to Paul. And then you say, well, what did he do? He started telling people about Jesus. Do you think The cities and communities got excited. No, they wanted to kill Jesus. What do you think they're going to want to do to Paul? He says it right here. He got lowered in a basket. Imagine if your first sermon at a church, all of a sudden, or maybe it was street preaching, everyone in the audience starts to gather together like we got to kill him, and they lower you out the back at Grace Community Church while people are running after you to kill you. That was his start in ministry. It was no seminary, started ministry. He showed up at the church. Do you think they said, oh, the Apostle Paul's here, wonderful. They said, no, he's been killing Christians. I'm not sure we want to fellowship with him. That's the start of his ministry, Acts chapter 9. But I'll tell you, when there's a fire that God brings, the world can't put it out. And it's like those candles, you know, that you trick candles where you blow them out, then they come back again, you blow them out, they come back. I'm telling you, with the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit in fire, this world can't stop what God wants to do in your life. You say, well, I thought glorifying God meant everything went well. Well, John the Baptist in John 3.30 said, Jesus must increase And I must decrease. And that included that he was beheaded with an act of injustice and hatred and revenge. But he was faithful to increase Jesus and willing to decrease himself. Origen calls this humble glory. The same humble glory that we see with Jesus on the cross. For Jesus knew the suffering that was coming, knew the crucifixion that was coming, And then declared to the disciples in John chapter 12, such powerful words and such a powerful prayer. He says, now my heart is troubled. Yes or no, is Jesus' heart ever troubled? Yes, it is. He's human and God. His heart's troubled. He's thinking about what's coming in the cross. 
He says, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He was tempted. That's what he wanted to say, Father, deliver me from this cross. He says, no, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. And his prayer became, Father, glorify your name. There are some people suffering in this room for the glory of God. And the prayer that you're going to cry out is, Father, I'll drink this cup if you want me to. Glorify your name. Because faithfulness is what matters at the end of the day. That's the North Star of success. More than anything else, it's lucrative or positions, it's faithfulness to God in that humble glory. And you might glorify God the most in the worst circumstances of your life. You might glorify God the most in your illness, in your lack of money, in between jobs. You might glorify God the most when you're hurting the most because people are going to see Jesus in you. And there's a connection that happens in the suffering. The calling that God gives us, and on the screen here you see, more difficult, more opposition, and more impact. That combination right there, more opposition, more difficulty, more impact. See, sometimes you just have to trust by faith that it's coming before you see it. Yes, that's right. That's right. Let me tell you, you started out in a ministry volunteering with kids. You started out as a greeter. You started out serving your community. And you're surprised because now it's more difficult than you thought. And there's more opposition than you thought. And there's also more impact than you can see. And that combination right there is a reality that Paul faced, that we face. And what are we going to do? The last two years, there's more difficulty, more opposition in following Jesus than there's been for a long time. And what are we going to do? And here's the crossroads. There's a lot of people, when they hit that moment, when now it's more difficult than I thought it would be, now there's more opposition than I thought it would be, there's a lot of people who check out at that point. A lot of people say, oh, I'm done serving. (laughs) It was more difficult than I thought. I'm done serving now. You won't see me for a few years. Oh, there's opposition in the culture. Yeah, now I'm quiet because I didn't sign up for opposition. I didn't want that. Let me tell you, the three go together. More difficult, more opposition, and more impact. And my encouragement for all of us is let's not shrink back or be silent. Amen? When it gets more difficult, more opposition, let's not shrink back in fear, in revenge, in resentment. Let's keep going with the Lord. Because here's the truth. It's not about our strength. Some leaders, you look at them and you just think, wow, they must just eat nails for breakfast. I mean, they just, whoo, they don't even need coffee. I mean, look at them from the start. Let me tell you, for every leader, every person, there's humanity, there's weakness. We can't do it on our own strength. The strongest person you know, if you could really see the whole story, is I can't do it on my own strength. I just can't. And here's the good news. Our weaknesses open the door. And what a door it is for the power of God. And Paul is going from strength now. He's going to share about weaknesses. What a glorious door it is, the power of God. And as we shift to this third theme, the power of God, starting in verse 5, notice again the transparency, the vulnerability of the Apostle Paul and he shares, he's going to open up in verse 5. 
he says, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Paul's tormented. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, and this is going to challenge some people today, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The transparency and vulnerability of the Apostle Paul, who's going to say, I'm being tormented right now in Satan's involved. I've got a thorn in my flesh. And you know what? I've been praying to God. I prayed three times as fervently, sincerely, and humbly as I can. I have cried out to God to take this away. Have you been there? Have you prayed any prayers that God would change the situation? You couldn't be more sincere and authentic, and you're crying out with faith, and you're crying out to God. And that's what Paul does three times, and he's just letting the church know, this is where I'm at. Okay, I'm, I'm really struggling. I'm crying out to God and God keeps saying no. So what do we say about that? God's healing, three ways you can think about it. Sensational, gradual, eventual. Sensational is when God does a miracle and he does do miracles. In the Bible, you see this. There are blind people. Jesus heals them and they can see. Sensational. Then there's gradual in our lives and in the Bible. Sometimes a physical therapist is involved. Uh, sometimes, you know, a doctor is involved. In the Bible, there was a man who was blind. Jesus healed him. There was a partial healing. He said, Jesus, I appreciate that, but people kind of look like trees. I don't think that's a full healing. He got a second touch. It was a gradual healing. And then in the Bible, there's eventual healings where some people, this side of heaven, are not going to be able to see with their eyes. But in heaven, we're going to have new bodies. And, and there's going to be no blindness in heaven. And there's going to be no sickness and no mourning and no death. And eventually, God will heal. And sometimes the mystery of faith is we just don't know, God, are you going to bring sensational, gradual, or eventual healing? And will we trust God for all three? And we need to be discerning because sometimes we get stuck in, well, it's all just going to be eventual. And I don't think there's really any sensational miracles that God does. Oh, yes, he does. And you need to open up and ask because you don't ask, you don't have. And you need to ask God to do miraculous things in your life. But then there's going to be times where some people are just like, well, God only shows up miraculous. And like, no, he shows up gradual and sometimes eventual. And that's really hard, but that's part of the healing. And God does all three. So if all three are in the Bible and that's who God is and he does all three, then I can't try to shrink God and I need to trust him in all three, and praise him, and thank him, and cry out to him, and pray together fervently, trust him with the results, not give up. But there's a lot of people who wanted something. God didn't come through the way they wanted, so they checked out. And they haven't prayed in years. They're not really open in their Bible. Some of them just aren't at church anymore. 
because God didn't do what they wanted him to do. And that's a real tension in our faith. It was real for the Apostle Paul, who's leading, vulnerable, and God's not doing what he wanted God to do. Let me tell you, there's what we want, and sometimes we think we know exactly what's best for us and what we want, and then we discover later that what we wanted isn't actually what we needed. That's tough. You ever prayed for someone you're dating? It's like, God, I know you want me to marry them. I know you want me to marry them. And then that wasn't the one. And what you thought you wanted, you realize later, wait, actually, I guess what I wanted wasn't what I really needed. And, and it's kind of humbling when that happens. Uh, what I think I need is different than what I actually need. What I think I need is different than what I actually need. So you say, what's the upside of weakness? Well, here's the sevenfold. Weakness can introduce us to a healthy dependency where every step forward, we're aware of our reliance on God. I'll tell you, first week, I got my crutches in my car because I didn't know how this would go today. And this week, it's like every step, I'm trying to listen to my Achilles tendon, to God. Like every step, it's not a bad place to be. Reliant on God, aware of God, every step forward, prayerfully listening, dependent on God. That's a good place to be. Another thing weakness does, it introduces us to a better solution than giving up, than discouragement, than quitting, complaining, blaming, resentment. If I had a dollar for every time on social media, Christians just start to complain these days, we could buy a neighborhood in the sound. Even with the housing prices today, I'm convinced we could buy a whole neighborhood in the sound if I had a dollar. There's a better option than complaining. Can I get an amen? Amen. Paul could have easily just gone into complain mode. The next is a humility. A weakness can kill pride and change your character. When there's a weakness, God humbles us, and it can change your character. Then there's a fire because pain can produce and forge and form a new passion and a new purpose and connect that passion and purpose. I'm convinced Paul was in so much pain so frequently and God used that pain to fan the flame so he would live even more fully for Jesus. Passion, purpose, continuing to inspire us today. Paul, if you handled the thorn in the flesh like that, maybe there's some things that are gonna shift in my life and how I'm gonna handle my challenges And then there's a turnaround, this great exchange where we give God our weakness and then we give God more of our weakness and we give God all of our weaknesses and God gives us grace and power and peace. That's an exchange you want to be a part of. You just give God that weakness. That's the hardest part. That's the hardest part. You give God that weakness and in that same area, you're going to receive his power and his peace. He also gives Paul a promise, a benefit. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to give you all you need to move forward in faithfulness and a closeness with God that comes through suffering. Because the apostle Paul said, I want to know Christ. That's my aim. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and share in the fellowship of his sufferings. And the fact is we get to know Jesus better, both through his power that's awesome and also through suffering. And that's how we get to know Jesus better. These are the benefits. I want to declare that at the end of yourself, It doesn't always feel good, but it's a good place to be. At the end of our pride, it's a good place to be. 
Our gods, if we're honest, our idols are often our own energy, our own effort, our own intelligence, our own efficiency, our own equipment. Why boast in those? I love the gospel of Jesus Christ. We come to God loved, known, pursued, sinful. We come to God in truth, sinners who need a savior. He rescues us. We don't earn it. We don't strive and perform it. He rescues us on the cross, dies for our sins, risen into relationship. It's a gift. It's eternal. It's personal. And it's not just for heaven. It's for today. The gospel's for today. In every day, Christ in us, the hope of glory, the Holy Spirit working through us. We come, we bring our weaknesses because we have them every day. God gives us his power every day. That's the exchange right there. I'm going to close with something visible. And the image that came to my mind as I was preparing was an envelope, an envelope. And envelopes today have this, you know, peel it back thing, which is kind of nice because how many people have ever licked this and just nasty in your mouth? Like, wasn't this a good invention? Someone got tired of licking envelopes and was like, yes, let's do this. And we're all grateful. This envelope right here, we all have an envelope. And in your envelope is your weakness. That area of life right now that's most difficult for you, it's your weakness. You've got it. We've all got it. We put it in an envelope, and then we seal it, don't we? And we go, okay, there's my weakness, my difficult part of my life. Sealed up, and we compartmentalize it. We hide it. Is there some disappointment in there? Yes. Is there pain in there? Yes. Is there pride in there? Yes. And at church especially, we conceal it and we put it right there. And then with this hand, we praise God. And with this hand, we hide the envelope. And we act like it's real. We act like this is the worship you want, God. Honoring God with my right hand, making sure no one can see the envelope with my left. Anyone doing church like that today? And thinking, whoa, this is what God wants. See, I still got my right hand up. Well, what about this envelope over here? This financial situation, this health situation, this marriage situation, this parenting situation. What about the envelope today? What's going on with the envelope? What we're saying here is, God, I trust you with salvation of my soul and for eternity and the forgiveness of sins, but I don't trust you with the envelope. How does that feel? That double, double deal. How does that feel? And what the apostle Paul is saying, there's something better than dead religion. There's something better. So you take out that weakness that envelope, and you say, God, it's been sealed. I've had it sealed for weeks. I've had it sealed for years. This is an envelope some people in this room don't know about. You say, God, what does the Apostle Paul challenge to do? I boast in my envelope. I boast in my weakness. In an appropriate way, he says, here it is for me, tormented. Was it an eye problem? We don't know. Was it epilepsy? We don't know. Was it mental health? We don't know. There's theories we don't know. But he says very clearly, and people then maybe knew, he said, here's my envelope. And in worship, God, in worship, I'm going to open this up to you, God, and say, would you come in in your power and your presence? And this is worship to you, God. And the world, the world sees it and says, that's the power of Jesus. Because they're not hiding their weakness. They're saying, here I am. I'm human. And I've got weaknesses. 
And it's so freeing to just bring them forward to you, God, and say, God, move. God, move in my envelope. I've been carrying this burden. I've been hiding this burden. I've been so frustrated, been so hopeless, God. I just didn't know you could do a great work in my envelope. We pray, God, we thank you for worship today. Thank you for envelopes today. Thank you that you are trustworthy today. Thank you that you are a healer today, that you're powerful in our weakness. God, guide with the courage to open up envelopes right now. Open up envelopes and worship and come in with power through your spirit. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We ask for a filling of the Holy Spirit and for your healing and restoration. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.